everyone, and welcome to Beauties and Head Canyons, where we're nerdy, and you probably are too. I'm Tegan, and I'm here today with Lindsay, and we're here to talk nerdy about Moon Knight. Now, uh, my own husband and I did an episode together on Moon Knight when the first episode came out, and I've just been absolutely hooked ever since. Lindsay's seen it, we have thoughts, We and we really wanted to talk about it together, especially now that the season has ended. So... Um, I know that, you know, I've gone into the series, like, obviously not really knowing that much about Moon Knight other than what my husband told me. So he was able to fill in a little bit of details here and there. But overall, I think the series was still a good segue into a character that I think in general, you know, the MCU fans aren't really going to have, you know, that much latent knowledge of not unless they've been reading comics, you know, so... Yeah, that's that's pretty much going to be this episode today. We're just going to talk about the series, the story, the character, the, well, the characters, um, all the characters that were involved in here and all the actors who did such a lovely, lovely job with those characters <laughs> and what we thought about it and what we'd like to see in a second season. If we're hoping we're going to get a second season, I'm pretty sure we are, but yeah. <laughs> okay, so what's the first thing we want to talk about? Uh, well, I mean, I think we have to kind of dissect first, at least, the character of, um, well, the, the kind of main protagonist, well, protagonists in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, we first get introduced to Stephen Grant in episode one, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, we kind of, we kind of start off about in the same boat as Stephen is, you know, we don't really know what's going on what is happening and we kind of learn you know the whole story as it unfolds with him so steven is kind of feels like the vehicle with which the audience is kind of along for the ride with and i i thought that was a really really nice uh way to start off the series and introduce the whole you know dynamic of him with mark and with khonshu because you know, like I said, like an average like MCU watch, MCU fan who doesn't really read the comics isn't really going to know anything about Moon Knight or about this character, right. you know, unlike, you know, and the Hawkeye really series about that perspective. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Unlike, you know, with the Hawkeye series, where it's like we know Hawkeye and, you know, we uh, have at least heard rumblings of Kate Bishop, you know, with um, with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you know, we know, we know Falcon, we know Bucky, you know, like, we know all these characters. So it's not like we need a whole, like, introductory course on them. But, you know, now that we're getting into new characters that people don't really know a whole lot about, it's, it's a really nice way, I think, to kind of introduce it. <laughs> so what I think is really cool about that perspective is that we are kind of used to the omnipotent omniscient uh perspective right because mm-hmm. we get to see the what's happening in every other place um uh, simultaneously even if it's not like exactly at that time we do eventually get the whole story mm-hmm. and for this one even you know episode six we still don't really have the whole uh story per se as to what's happening and what's going on right now um mm-hmm. and uh, you know, spoiler alert, I guess we didn't even do spoiler alert. Like, if you haven't watched the whole season of Moon Knight, guys, stop listening. Yeah. Go listen, <laughs> go watch it. 
and then come back and listen to it because this is really just me and Tegan talking about having watched the whole series. <laughs> um, but in the last episode, we we obviously find out we really don't know everything. Yeah. We, we only know a little bit. Um, and, but it was hinted throughout the whole series, too. Mm-hmm. It was hinted every episode almost that mm-hmm. we weren't getting the whole story because Stephen kept saying that it wasn't him that was doing something. And Mark kept saying, nope, wasn't me either. And so uh, I guess we sort of assume at some point that they're lying to each other, that it's clearly one of them is doing these things. But we find out that it really isn't mm-hmm. either of them. Yeah. It's um, a... However, th- sorry, th- I really did enjoy that, like – from episode one, we only get one perspective until mm-hmm. we get the other perspective. Um, and it's and even then, we, we still don't really, um, you know, in, in the sense of our big bad, like the, the main baddie guy isn't really a guy so much as a concept, mm-hmm. so much as the, you know, we, we still only get those little bits and pieces. So we have to kind of make up our mind as to um, with only the few bits of information we get, which I think is like the, the coolest element of it is that we our perspective is so skewed mm-hmm. um, by design, really. Like, yeah, it's really. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's an excellent use of an unreliable narrator where, you know, especially at the very, very end, it's like w- with the um, like the post credit scenes and episode six where we actually get to be introduced finally to Jake Lockley. And, you know, we realize that, you know, obviously Jake has been hinted at throughout the whole series, but when we finally meet him and we see that he's working with Khonshu, you know, it's, it's this idea that we don't really fully know everything that's going on, just like Mark and Steven don't really fully know what's going on. Well, right. But I also believe that Khonshu is just kind of like being a douche. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, Khonshu did say that he would leave Steven and Mark. He never said that he would leave entirely. So... You, you know gods and their, you know, technicalities and bylaws and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was bound to pull something. Like, Kanchu isn't just going to totally let go. I know. All right, so favorite <laughs> character? I don't know, favorite actor? What? <laughs> Can we pick what a we favorite? Got? Is it possible? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I even, I think I kind of liked uh, um, the bad guy, uh, <laughs> Ethan's character. Uh, Arthur Harrow. <laughs> Yes, I I actually, I think there's something interesting about characters who are essentially evil but don't know they're evil, right? And the MCU has done that to us a few times, right? Mm-hmm. Because Thanos truly believed that he was doing the right thing with the snap and um, the population uh, management, as it were. But there's something interesting about... Um, this idea of like precognition mm-hmm. and believing that a person is essentially evil because of things that they could possibly do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of um, taken over a little bit of, of my thought process lately, especially because of uh, something that's going on in, in the media right now where um, recently a lawyer said that they were objecting to what someone was about to say. Like, yeah, <laughs> uh, they, they said something like, um, I believe they're about to commit hearsay or something like yeah. that, or they're about to reveal hearsay. And I was like, well, that's not fair. He didn't even, <laughs> he didn't even finish saying what he was saying yet. But the idea of like objecting to what someone could possibly do mm-hmm. is, is that like same 
um, there's a Tom Cruise movie that did the same thing. Yeah, Minority Report. About, like, yeah, so it's about like what 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 you're capable of doing um, or what you may possibly do. Mm-hmm. Um, never mind free will or your yeah. own moral codes, those kinds of things. And and they even you know move towards how Stephen Grant um, has this high moral code that the 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 person he embodies, in, including Mark Spector, is this uh, person who has or persons who has an extreme moral code right Mm -hmm. and that the shift happens when he um ended up uh doing that missionary work so Mm -hmm. to speak um and that that traumatic event is probably what made him have that split Um, yeah yeah, At least it's, that's the impression I got. <laughs> yeah, it's a really great study in lawful evil where, you know, even in their own, um, their, within their own code, they, they are subject to their own code. Like when they finally uh, were able to get Amit to, you know, materialize and fr- when they were able to free Amit and she approached him and she was like, you know, you know, you, your scales do not balance and everything like that. And he was ready right then and there to submit to Amit and be like, yes, you know, because this is what he believes in and Mm -hmm. seeing the depth of that devotion where he would even just allow Amit to kill him, you know, you know, he's like, Hey, if I don't measure up, I don't measure up, but this is what I believe in and I'm going to follow it even if it means my death. So it was, it was really a great study. I think even more than Thanos that, you know, of a villain can very much see themselves as being in the right and not necessarily being evil, but, you know, trying to conquer some overall good, you know, for the future, for, you know, humanity as a whole, you know, and they can fully, fully believe that and still be committing these heinous crimes. So I, I don't know. I just, I thought it was excellent. And especially during that scene, Ethan was really killing it. As Arthur just, like, you know, he's in awe, he's reverent, you know, he's just kneeling. And, you know, even though it's like this shock of I don't measure up, it's like this immediate submission of, all right, well, that's that's how it is then, <laughs> you know? Right. That's that's the way the cookie crumbles. Yep. <laughs> he's like, I brought yeah. I brought this out and I'm willing to stick by it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I mean, uh, so I have a lot of like, problems with the last couple of episodes and that's why mm-hmm. I wanted to do an episode um just you and I talking because like I still don't really think I know what happened <laughs> yeah um, the last couple episodes were so so trippy and yeah. very kind of cerebral because a lot of it was dealing with you know bringing around Mark and Steven to accepting their shared pasts and you know basically how Stephen came to be and you know how things really were and it was something that was um I think they covered really well as far as like disassociative identity disorder and even just trauma in general there were lots of things I could pick up and I really identified particularly with with you know going back over memories and seeing like oh like this was actually really messed up. This is actually really traumatic. Like, you know, rec- you know, looking back and being able to look at it without any kind of a filter or a lens and realize the truth of what, what has happened and come to terms with that was really, really important for Mark and for Steven. And 
I think it was just a great message in general, just being able to come to terms with that. Yeah, I I mean, and I was like crying, right? Like the yeah. whole time. Oh, of course, uh, of course. Like bawling my stupid eyes out <laughs> because I was so bereft with what was happening. Yeah. Um, I truly had like so many different feelings and because, um, you know, I, I spent such a such a long time in the first few episodes thinking that I hated Mark and yeah. that why was he such a derp yeah and um then i get to the point where no wait actually this is just like a you know it's 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 a a classic like yes it's a classic like psychological thing where i knew that there had to be some kind of break um that made him do that but then like you start questioning okay so he's been calling his mom and talking to her or has he been talking to the voicemail because she like never picks up and that's sad and i'm thinking okay but why why is that happening and so okay so let's talk about the mom then and the 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 thing that happened right because um he uh mark had a little brother Mm -hmm. and you know uh something wicked this way comes right yeah the thing about having a little brother is you get your hands in each other's clay right so Mm -hmm. he had to be the older brother he had to be like oh come on don't be such a wuss and um, this awful thing happens where the younger brother drowns. Um, mm-hmm. Never mind that Mark gets out. Yeah. Um, somehow. And that is, we, we don't you know, even, like, know, awfully that. traumatic for him. Like, you know, having his brother right. die and having to deal with that. And then, have, you know, his mother blames him because, you know, you're the older brother. You're supposed to look after him. And it's like, it's an accident. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure that Mark would have never wanted to, you know, just allow his brother to drown if he couldn't help it but i mean things happen sometimes kids are kids they go exploring they go have fun and you know if it weren't for that you know big rainstorm it probably would have been fine but you know it just it just just happens probably every other time they went in there yeah yeah i mean every other time yeah i mean who knows like how many times they've gone exploring and maybe not even that place in particular but just in general, like how many times have they gone out and done things and it's been perfectly fine and it's just like the one time, you know, mm-hmm. his brother dies. And, you know, obviously that's a big trauma in and of itself. But then dealing with his mother's reactions and his father's, you know, inability to either stand up to her or get her help or just leave and take Mark with him to spare Mark from further pain. You know, it, it just all compounds on each other. Well, and like an exercise in love too, right? Because he mm-hmm. was there until the bitter end. He yeah. never left her and he probably should have. Oh, yeah. Honest. And I mean, as sad um, as it is, it's like, you know, at what point is it too much? At what point is this person not willing to save themselves? And, you know, at what point do you say this is enough? I need to protect my, my child, you know? Right, which he didn't do. Yeah. I mean, he didn't. Um, So that happens. She ends up dying i can't remember if she killed herself or if she uh drank herself to death but essentially uh, she had all kinds of issues uh Mm -hmm. you know like her way she dealt with her son's death and Mm -hmm. essentially losing both sons because didn't mark leave um long before he should have because of the way the family was isn't there a fight where he's leaving or um well there was i mean obviously he was still a kid so he he stayed in the home for for a while until it looked like i don't know if they gave an exact age but he seemed to be at least in his late teens 
you know, when he's like packing up and leaving. And so it doesn't yeah. look like he ever really came back after that. And, um, you know, when he gets the word that his mom dies, he goes there, but he just can't bring himself to actually go in there. And he just, and he can't do it. Moment. Yeah. And that's when Steven really like takes over. And I believe that's basically what leads into the beginning of the series where Steven is pretty much in full control and driving and you know he's just out here living his best museum gift shop worker life <laughs> right and so he was essentially a, a means to an end to mm -hmm. be able to like handle um all the different things that happened where do you think jake lackley came from where do you think he started that's going to be an interesting question to ask um and i'm hoping now I don't think there's been any confirmation as of yet, but from if I, I recall I correctly, yeah, it looks like it looks like mostly. Okay, sorry, I'll let you finish, but I, <laughs> I don't think they've actually announced like anything. Yeah, because there, I don't believe there has been an actual announcement. But when they initially announced, like you know, episode six and everything, they said series finale, but then they changed it to season finale. So okay. I'm curious. You know, if based on the reception, they were like, oh, people really like this. Maybe we should give it a second season, you know, especially to explore like Jake and what's going on with him and Conchu. And, you know, obviously Mark and Steven have got to figure that out at some point down the line, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. waking up with odd, you know, maybe odd injuries or in odd places. Like, you know, they, they've got to pick up that something is going on, that Conchu isn't really gone. So that would be great. Um, but yeah, so... Obviously, I don't think anything is official just yet, but based on that change in wording, I'm hoping that they're going to start developing season two then to, I don't know, kind of explore Jake and maybe Jake's origins and how he came to be and everything like that. Right. And so like that's what's so interesting to me about this, too, is like the um, I, I always love it when things are loosely based or even more solidly based on um, mythology. And we know mm -hmm. that Marvel does a lot of that. Like they're they're oh, just yeah. real good at, at drawing from all of that as their source material. Um, did you and um, Lee talk at all about um, the. Uh, Egyptian mythology that's in there and um, Khonshu and Amit and if those things actually exist because like one of my favorite things was listening mm -hmm. to Stephen talk about um, the stuff that he knew and when Layla actually was like look we actually need Stephen right now. So. Yeah um, we didn't really get a chance to because I mean episode one doesn't really like delve into Khonshu or you know anything else involving him or right. really any of the gods, really. I mean, episode one was really just like a, an introduction. Um, so we didn't really get to delve too much into that just because episode one doesn't really deal much with that. Um, so let me hear your thoughts on that then. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, these are all based on, you know, at least loosely based on real Egyptian gods. Um, obviously, there's going to be diversions here and there because you know marvel's got to do their own thing they got to make their own stories tell their own stories you know just like with uh -huh. thor and loki and odin you know like in the real mythologies loki and thor aren't brothers they aren't adopted brothers loki and odin are blood brothers not like you know connected uh -huh. by blood but like you know they've taken an oath to be like you know hey you are my brother and right right you know so you know obviously this 
they're not going to be like, you know, one-to-one, but they do draw at least loosely on the mythos that's present in Egyptian mythology. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I mean, and, and I, as, as the person who was, you know, into Egyptology when I was a teenager, you know, it's, it's really cool to actually see these kinds of things like presented because we get to see so much with like Norse mythology. We'll get to see things with like, you know, um, like Irish, Irish mythology, like, you know, general Celtic mythology and things like that. But you don't really get to delve too deeply into other mythologies as well. And so getting to see um, Egyptian mythology, you know, presented in this way and highlighted like this, I thought was just amazing, just in general. And, you know, also really great for representation as well. <laughs> One of my favorite moments in episode six was when, um, was when Layla, you know, stopped the car and like saved everybody. And she was asked, are you an Egyptian superhero? And she was just like, yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> like, yeah, like this, this is the kind of thing we need. This is the kind of representation that we need and that people want to see evidently, you know, going by the, you know, general reception that this, that the series has had. Yeah. I, I honestly, I thought it was like just really fun to see a different, mm-hmm. um, like a different, demographic a different group yeah um, kind of to, to like know that this uh culmination of like good versus evil but also sort of I, don't know, I feel like the mcu really has got like an overlying theme right like mm-hmm. a like a concept that we haven't been paying attention to and i also feel like i'll eventually figure it out um <laughs> with everything that's happened after the snap and um the shift that uh we are about to see happen with um you know the whole multiverse with the whole multiverse mm-hmm. but that there's like a there's like a shift happening um that has to do with like free will versus predestination yeah and where we're headed versus where we could be i guess mm-hmm. i don't it, there's so much like butterfly effect stuff happening and yeah. um a version of yourself having made a choice could be bad in another universe versus how you are or how you would assume you you would be right because like mm-hmm. there's there's the element of like people who we know who would be inherently good no matter what like steve rogers yeah right? oh yeah but given certain circumstances given certain situations we've also got the idea of um a loki in different universes mm-hmm. being different um <laughs> based off of whatever um whatever that universe had planned for mm-hmm. Um, that entity and I, I just think it's so interesting to me that we've got all these other characters that they're playing with but the general gist of the main guys doesn't change you know what I yeah. mean like we've seen um, uh, you know not to jump off of the subject but we've seen uh, maybe you haven't seen it yet but Doctor Strange we've seen mm-hmm. um, but I mean you do know that because you watched um, the what ifs that mm-hmm. he um, did have the opportunity in What If to go to other universes and try to change things and how that all really worked yeah. out splendidly for him. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but the idea of like catastrophically changing a timeline based off of just small little changes is me running off on a stream of consciousness, basically. <laughs> I know I'm trying to say something important here, but... I'm I'm losing my own, I'm losing my steam. <laughs> oh no, it it comes back down to I think you know just the core of characterization and working within that characterization because you can take a character 
and you can stick them in a different situation and you can see how they react. But, you know, if they are that same character, you can kind of predict how they might act. That's kind of the core of fan fiction too. Like, you know, taking characters that we know and love and being able to translate them into a different situation and still maintain that level of characterization and yet still, you know, have an accurate portrayal of that and yet, you know, be able to witness different events with that and, you know, help them evolve as characters, maybe in different ways even, but still in a way that logically makes sense based on what we know of their core character. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's obviously a concept I'm very, very familiar with. <laughs> but, you know, that was one thing that I really appreciated about seeing Moon Knight was the willingness to be a little different and to set themselves apart from other series and other introductions to characters. Um and not willing to stick to the same old, oh, well, we introduce a character by starting at the beginning, you know, and how they, you know, starting with their origin. And, you know, like how we went and we got went with Steve Rogers and, you know, we got to follow him before he got the serum and, you know, getting into the army and then, you know, showing who he really is and then getting the serum and all that stuff. You know, we get to see that. We get to see Iron Man actually create, you know, the arc reactor and, you know, make his suit and even test out different suits and different prototypes before he like, you know, figures out how to actually do it. You know, lots of the MCU characters, we get to see their origin and follow them from there. With Moon Knight, we don't, we didn't get to see that until the very, we didn't actually get to see Mark take on the mantle of Moon Knight for the first time until episode six, which was definitely a choice to do it that way. But it was it was really refreshing. You know, you don't have to do the same thing over and over and again. You can do something a little bit different and it can resonate with people, I think, because, you know, getting to piece together a story little bit by little bit kind of adds to an entertainment factor, I think. You know, because one of my favorite things was watching the story, watching the episode and then talking with Lee about it and, you know, talking about our favorite things about it and maybe speculating on what this means or what that means or what might be coming next or what might happen. You know, that's it's it's part of a whole experience. You know, it's not just I watch this and OK, now I'm done. <laughs> you know, like it's over, so I'm not really going to think about it that much. Whereas with this, it really sticks with you and it makes you think and it makes you want to think. It makes you want to know more. And I mean, that's just that's a that's great writing, <laughs> you know, right. in general. Right, exactly. It's just good writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what it comes down to. It's like amazing uh, what you can do when you sit down and you write something well. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> right, right. Um, so how did you feel about uh, Layla? She was awesome. I really, really loved and appreciated her character so, so much. Um, you know, I feel like she is the kind of, you know, strong female character that people are, or writers are wanting to write, but they're just not quite getting right and I think but I think that they got it right with Layla you know she's she's obviously strong and smart and she you know is assertive and she knows what she wants and you know she's willing to go after it and chase it but you know and and she also has flaws as well but you know she really learns and she evolves over the course of the series you know she's not just this one-dimensional you know strong female character that you know some some media like to just toss in there because you know diversity points I guess 
But, you know, she really felt like she was filling of filling a spot in the series that I don't think could have been filled by anyone else. And then getting, um, seeing her, you know, like, uh, be the avatar of Tauret was just really awesome. Getting to see this character, this, you know, minority character, you know, as a superhero in this series was really impactful. And I really, really loved it. Yeah. I mean, I did too. Um, let's talk about the uh, big white room then, and when we get to see Harrow um, be a doctor, and was that real? Was it wrong? What was it? That was uh, the whole part of like episodes like five and six, or I think it might have been the end of episode four as well. It just mm-hmm. getting to see this whole like trippy thing with you know obviously like you know Mark and Stephen having to like come to terms with things. I don't think the room was necessarily was real, but it was kind of Mark's extension of trying to come to terms with that and trying to move himself to where he could come to terms with that. And the choice of using Harrow as the doctor, I don't think was him doing it consciously, but it was unconscious because it it was, you know, he's having a conflict with Harrow in real life and him needing to come to terms with things is is a conflict. And so he naturally, I think, projected that onto, you know, that character of Harrow in that position of the doctor because he, you know, it reflects that conflict that was going on just before. So, you know, I don't think it was real, but I think it was useful in him trying to get some closure, especially with Stephen getting closure and recognizing that, yes, my mother is gone you know, and just coming to terms with everything in, in his past that he thought was real, but wasn't really real. Right. Yeah, no, I, I I struggled with it the first time I watched it. And then the second time I was like, okay, okay, I see. This is, this is like the body's way of, of dealing with mm-hmm. what's happening, but also sort of like, uh, like a glimpse of like the afterlife kind of. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it was in Tarot's, uh comment about, you know, oh, well, there are lots of different like little uh, I forget her exact words, but basically like little afterlifes, you know, it was, it was really cool to see that, you know, there's a variety even in like Marvel where a person might have certain ties to maybe, I don't know, certain gods, certain cultures, what have you. And so when they pass on, then they go to that afterlife, you know, and even though Mark is Jewish, um, he has this such strong ties to, um, to Egypt to an Egyptian god that he would end up in an Egyptian afterlife, which I thought was really interesting. But yeah, it it was really cool to see like just the variety because you know we've seen so many different like re- representations for like a generic heaven, and mm-hmm. seeing this very specific cultural you know heaven that would that is not anything like a you know a Western Christian view of the afterlife, I, I thought was really refreshing. Yeah, I I had a, a good time like speculating about what my afterlife would look like after that, you know, um, just kind of trying to discern what it would look like for me. I guess I don't know. I was... Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, before we before we close out the episode, we have to talk about the big man himself, Oscar Isaac, and his oh his just amazing performance. I swear, like every time you see him. On the screen in here, you can tell by just body language. You can tell who is fronting. 
you can tell who's in control. You can tell if it's Mark or you can tell if it's Steven. You can just tell just by the way he stands, even before he opens his mouth. And that is just, it's such an attention to detail that, you know, I know not every actor would would go to those links, but he did. And it, it pays off so, so well. And I don't know if you noticed as well um, at the end um, in episode six, when um, he finally like, you know, stands up to uh, Harrow and everything like, or like in his mind. And, you know, he's saying, you know, he kind of fluctuates between like Mark and Steven and you can hear like, you know, the American accent and the British accent for just a second, like two or three times, you can hear Jake's voice. You can hear this Brooklyn drawl. And I noticed it and picked it up immediately. I'm like, that's it. That's where it is. And I, we went back and rewatched it again. I'm like, yep, that's it. That's clear as day. It's, it's something that you might not really pick up in your first viewing, but especially once you're aware of Jake and especially like how he speaks and you go back and watch it, it's like, oh yeah, that's him. <laughs> like you, you can just tell, like, even if he's not acknowledged, even by the other altars present, he's still there. And it was just a very well done and subtle way of including all of them. No, I, I completely and totally agree. I, I love Oscar Isaacs um, from like everything else too. <laughs> and he's such a like unrecognizable from role to role. Yeah, um, like he really and, puts himself into each one. Yeah, and to see how different it was for each um, for each entity that he was playing in this and for them to look exactly the same, right? For there to be um, the differences in his own demeanor was was really freaking awesome. Oh I, yeah. Um, I I also loved the um, Kanshu avatar changes when it was uh, Stephen versus Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I I just loved <laughs> the nod to the to the British gentleman uh, mm-hmm. that was going on there. I just uh, I couldn't stop squealing every time he was. It, it just politely being him. I just, I just loved it. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's uh callbacks to like, you know, some of his costumes in the comics as well. Like, you know, the different uh, designs and iterations he's gone through, you know, I, I thought it was a really great and unique way to kind of bring in both of them, bleh, excuse me, bring in both of them and kind of, you know, spin it to where, you know, oh, well, well, this is Steven when he's, you know, in this avatar state. And then this is Mark when he's in this avatar state. So that, of course, mm-hmm. makes me think of, you know, what does Jake look like then when he's being the avatar of Khonshu? Like, yeah, ah, no, I, I was about I to want season two. two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it'll be it'll definitely be interesting to see because we only really got like um, uh, him you know, following Con- like going to Kanchu at mm-hmm. the end of that last episode. So we really yeah. didn't get anything more than that. That was really cool. All right. Anything else we need to, I mean, like, obviously we could talk forever, but anything else we need to make sure we say? I think I've said just about all I can. Um, just one last note that, you know, portraying things like mental illnesses, especially like disassociative identity disorder is, um, can be very difficult to do, especially when like, you know, you don't have, uh, when you don't have the condition yourself, but, uh, 
you know, I have a couple of, uh, DID systems who are friends and, you know, they, they watch the show and they, you know, commented on some things that, you know, well, this isn't quite right, but it's not quite right for me. And, you know, other, other systems might feel differently. It might be accurate for them. So, you know, it, it felt really good to see that, you know, the validation of at least, you know, of, from the people that I know, who said that, you know, yeah, this wasn't, you know, just a totally butchered <laughs> representation of DID. Like this was actually, you know, well done and thoughtfully done and, you know, fairly accurate to, you know, at least some of their lived experiences and likely other, uh, other people's lived experiences as well. So, you know, real big props to them because, you know, things like DID or have been portrayed before in films and it's been portrayed very poorly and it's been done very badly and you know it can definitely make you feel kind of leery to you know go out on a limb yet again and you know see something that you have or that you know that that you live with to be portrayed yet again but honestly I think just give it a chance because this you know from everything that I've seen everything that I've read it's been well done. It's well written. They had, you know, consultants on their um, on their staff to make sure that, you know, they were being respectful and being accurate and on top of all, you know, the other excellent writing that they were doing. So, you know, this is fantastic to actually finally see, you know, a superhero struggling with a mental illness and, you know, kind of coming to terms with trauma and, you know, dealing with it and making himself stronger. And then, you know, the real big thing for me was, you know, at the end when he does come to terms with this, it's not like the DID is just gone and he's just one person now. No, like he still has DID. You know, Steven is still present. Jake is obviously still present. You know, he's still, you know, the system is still intact. Even though, but they're just stronger now, now that they've kind of come to terms with that trauma. So, you know, it, I, I think some, some writers might be tempted to write it as, oh, well, no, they're cured. Well, it's like, no, no, that, that's not how mental illness works. Not at all. And so I, I thought it was a really, really lovely way to incorporate, you know, mental illness, mental illness and trauma and do it in a way that was really respectful of the character and, and the condition as well. I agree. All right. So with that, um, geez, let's uh, also uh, kind of mention a couple other things that happened this past week, right? So, yes. <laughs> uh, I'm going to need to watch, um, I'm going to need to sit in front of the television for a hot minute because Obi-Wan, uh, the first two episodes came out. Yes. Um, Stranger Things, I don't think we've ever actually talked about Stranger Things, but we probably should. But Stranger Things is on Netflix and the first half of season four just dropped. Um, all before I'm about to go travel. So, of course, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to watch any of it um, until in, uh, maybe next week. So that'll be exciting. Um, but just some really cool things going on. Uh, we'd love to know what you'd love to hear us talk about. Um, I would be dying to either talk to Tegan or someone else or anybody else or all people <laughs> about um, the multiverse, uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness because I've got feelings and things that I wanted to, to address. Um, we kind of watched that on the fly, um, me and Ash and Jason. So we, um, I, I, could, I could stand to watch it again, but it really is like an homage to um, The Evil Dead, and I've got things I need to, need to say. So 
if anybody wants to, to um, you know, volunteers tribute for that one, we'd <laughs> love to, to have you. Um, and I can't wait to talk about all the things that are happening this summer. So, you know, wear us on block, stay safe. Um, let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about. And otherwise, I am Lindsay. And I'm Tegan. And thanks for getting nerdy with us today on Beauties and Headcanons. Cannons.